Shalom, and welcome to Kehilat Rosh Pina, a dynamic, multicultural, and growing Messianic Jewish congregation located in the heart of Oklahoma City and led by Rabbi Michael Weigand. Our goal is to bring you the message of the Word each week from a Jewish perspective and to exalt Messiah Yeshua as Lord and Savior overall. We are a loving congregation made up of both Jew and Gentile, now one in the Messiah, with Shabbat morning services at 10.40 a.m. and various studies throughout the week. Please come and join us next time you are in Oklahoma City. We would love to have you. And now, we hope you enjoy today's message. to get into the Word of God with you today for us to share. If you, uh, oftentimes I, I don't address the parashah because we have a teaching in the afternoon on it, but I want to start with this week's Torah portion from a passage of Scripture that um, within this section of the Torah in Sefer Devarim, the book of Deuteronomy, um, there are some tough passages. How many of you have noticed that in Scripture? There can be some passages that you just wonder, what is this all about? Sometimes it, it may be particular commandments, and you wonder, why did the Lord tell them to do this or not to do that? And sometimes it's more obvious to our eyes, to our understanding, as to why other times uh, we, we don't see it all. Some of that has to do with uh, culture back then, history, um, the circumstances that were faced, and that is the case here with this passage. The passage I'm referencing is in Sefer Devarim, the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 20, beginning with verse 16. Here's what it says. But of the cities of these peoples, which the Lord your God gives you as an inheritance, you shall let nothing that breathes remain alive but you shall utterly destroy them the Hittite and the Amorite and the Canaanite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite just as the Lord your God has commanded you Verse 18 of Deuteronomy chapter 20 continues, Lest they teach you to do according to all their abominations, which they have done for their gods, and you sin against the Lord your God. In this passage, it's obvious that God was warning Israel about these people. As they were nearing the land of Canaan, the land of promise, if you remember the setting, the, the time setting of the book of Devarim, the book of Deuteronomy, it was the 40th year of the wilderness journey. It was the 11th month at least of the 12 months that were involved with this journey. So it was at the very end of the wilderness wandering. And in Deuteronomy, we encounter at the end of it the death of Moses and then we also encounter the taking up of the mantle of authority, of leadership that went to Yehoshua, to Joshua. And in between all these events in this 40th year, as we get to the final months of the 40th year, as Israel is literally on the shores of uh, Nahar Yaden, the Jordan River, about to enter into the Promised Land, there are some unique commandments that come to them, that are given to them, that were not given to them previously because their circumstance, they weren't ready for. For example, here's an example. They are told in Sefer Devarim that they are to build a parapet. How many of you know what a parapet is? Build a wall around the roof, a parapet around the, around the rooftop. Well, up to this point, they weren't living in houses. They were living in ohalim, they're called in Hebrew. They were living in tents. So the commandment to build a parapet around your tent, well, didn't quite work so well. But to build a wall around the roof of your house, because you're entering into a place where you're going to live permanently, it's going to be the land that God has given to them, that makes a lot of sense. So in the 40th year, 
towards the end of the 40th year as they're about to enter into the promised land, they're going to be transitioning from Ohelim to houses, from tents to houses. They're going to be transitioning. So some of the commandments can be explained by the necessity that awaited them. The circumstance would be different crossing over the Jordan River. You noticed as I read this passage, Deuteronomy chapter 20, that a number of people groups were mentioned. Did you notice that? The Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites. I like to call them all the, all the Ite brothers. They're all listed there. And yet what's told to them to do is, did you notice, and I emphasize as rather, you shall let nothing that breathes remain alive. <laughs> and then as if to qualify that, the very next statement is, but you shall utterly destroy them. Now, God who knows the hearts of all, whether the heart of a person or, can we say it this way, the heart of a nation or an ethnos, a people group, God who knows all that, he knew that the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, and all the other rites that were in the land of Canaan, he knew that they were not going to change their evil ways. And there's a way to prove that from the Torah because he says to them, when they come out of the land of Egypt, he says, the, the, the guilt, the sin of the nations has not reached its full measure yet. So we can assume that at the 40th year of the wilderness wandering, that the cup of wrath was filled towards these nations. Although this is not the topic that I want to share with you, we have to wonder sometimes about the cup of wrath with the nations around the globe right now. God who knows the hearts of all, all people, singular, all individuals, and all nations, plural, God who knows the hearts, how much longer will he withstand? It tells us in the book of Romans that it's his forbearance, his forbearance towards us that leads us to what? Teshuvah, to repentance. And I want to emphasize, as Roy mentioned in his, in his announcements, that as we approach the High Holy Days, we are right now in the Hebrew calendar month of Elul. As we approach the High Holy Days, one of the main themes of the High Holy Days, the, the fall feasts, the Moadim as they're called, the appointed times, one of the main themes is repentance, teshuvah. It's also getting right with your brother and sister, getting things right. And I want to encourage you in preparation. I believe we should be doing this at all times. But make sure you're walking in a right manner towards your brother and sister. And try as much as possible, so much as it depends upon you to live at peace with shalom, with well-being to everyone you're connected with. So God knew the Perizzites, the Hivites, and I'm not going to go through that long list again. God knew these people, this, these people groups, that they, they were not going to change. It tells us later in Scripture, he's not, he, he doesn't desire for anyone to perish. He wants all to come to the knowledge of the truth. And it's often said, at least in believing circles, that, you know, if there was just one person on the earth and that person was you, Yeshua would die for you. That's the tender love of God. And we also have in the Torah the example of Avraham intervening with the Lord, and I believe it's in Genesis chapter 18, concerning the people that lived in Sodom and Gomorrah, Sodom and Gomorrah. You remember how he talks to him? He says, if there's 40, Lord, would you not spare the city? And the, there's a cold response, if there's 30, and then gets down to the minion number. If there's 10, Lord, would you please spare the city? Would you spare that? And you know there were less than 10. It's curious that the Lord knew exactly how many were there. So with these groups, Adonai told Israel to totally vanquish, totally vanquish the inhabitants 
of the land of Canaan as they entered in. And quoting again from Deuteronomy chapter 20, verse 18, to remind us of some of the other aspects of this difficult passage, especially to 21st century mentality, he said in Devarim chapter 20, verse 18, lest they teach you to do according to all their abominations which they have done for their gods and you sin against the Lord your God. As we ponder that text, we realize that there was much more in line here that God working with Israel through those 40 years and they were at times difficult years. God working with Israel, his whole purpose was that they would be an Am Kodesh, a holy people, a set-apart people for his will, for his purpose, for his good, good pleasure to do his will. That same calling is upon us, that we are to be a set-apart people, but we find ourselves in the midst of a generation, a world around us that seems to be increasingly diabolical. I don't know what adjectives to use. You can place your own in there. That doesn't mean there aren't many believers across the face of the earth. We should be greatly encouraged that there are believers virtually in every nation of the earth. And the book of Revelation tips us off that there will be people from every language and every tongue that will do what? They will praise and worship the God of heaven and earth. Now in our society... In our society, we are more prone to accommodate or tolerate evil than to call it what it is and set ourselves fully against it. We seek a little more accommodation. We feel like we can give in a little bit. And if we can paraphrase what the Lord told the children of Israel in this 40th year, the 11th month or so, as they're about to enter into the land that the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Canaanites and the otherites possessed, if we could paraphrase that, we, we can say that the Lord was saying, don't allow any compromise on this matter. How many of you know sometimes when we compromise things, particularly spiritual truths, spiritual morals, the morals that Scripture teach, the ethics, whether it's in our business situation, our work situation, the ethical compromise that sometimes we, we fall into, it is not good for us. It's not good for our testimony. And it certainly is not a good example to those looking at us. God knows all hearts. And here's the other thing about him, and there are many things about him. He knows the past, <laughs> He knows the present, and he knows the future. It says of him that he was, he is, and he is to come. It's repeated in more than one place. And perhaps if we could think about how God was looking at this, we, we don't know exactly, but we, can, we get some remazim, some hints, as we look back in the Torah, in the book of Bereshit, Genesis, and perhaps God was remembering what happened with Noah in the days of Noah. In Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, it says, Then the Lord saw, curious statement, the Lord saw, he saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. This is what God saw when he looked at the generation of Noah. And yet there was this one family, the descendants of Noah, known as descendants, that he also saw. Every intent of the thoughts of, of his heart, of mankind's heart, was only evil continually. It gives the impression that there, there didn't seem to be any room. They weren't heading any direction towards repentance, towards teshuvah in the generation of Noah. And I'll remind you what Yeshua said. He said, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be the time of the coming of the Son of Man. Then the Lord saw, Genesis 6, verses 5 and 6, that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And verse 6 is quite a verse. Genesis 6, verse 6. 
and the Lord was sorry. Some translators say he, he repented. The Lord was sorry. He, he, he thought this through. He was sorry that he had made man on the earth. And then this, and he was grieved in his heart. The new covenant tell us, tells us do not grieve the Holy Spirit. It tells us also to not quench the Holy Spirit. My friends here, please understand that the, the intents of our heart, the things we do, the things we say, it is possible to grieve the Lord with these things. It's so important that we, we grasp, we, we, we clasp what it says in Romans chapter 12, verses 1, in, 1 and 2. That we present ourselves as a korban chai, as a living sacrifice to the Lord, that we experience a renewal in our thinking so that these bad thoughts can go away. A battleground oftentimes is right here. We used to have to fill our minds and our hearts with what? With the Word of God. The Word of God. So some speak today in believers' circles the, about the term lukewarm. How many of you have heard that, that term lukewarm? And, you know, it's a reference back to the book of Revelation, at least in, in some part. And there, the, the lukewarm attitudes that, that can tend to permeate even our ranks at time, even our own hearts at time, a lukewarm attitude. And that lukewarm attitude in some ways has become even more acceptable as people try to accommodate and compromise. And in contrast, in contradistinction, we see the passage that I read from Deuteronomy chapter 20 where God says, vanquish them, get rid of them. You can't compromise with them. If you do, you're going to learn their ways, the ways they learn from their gods, and there's more to it. In Revelation chapter 3, in speaking about lukewarm, beginning with verse 15, it says, I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold. I could wish you were hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I'm going to actually change the word here that's in my translation, the, the verb, I will spew you out of my mouth. My translation has a little stronger word that I don't feel like saying right now. <laughs> I will spew you out of my mouth. How does God view this lukewarm attitude, at least in, in reference to Laodicean believers in the first century by extrapolation onto us? He doesn't like it. I'll spew you out of my mouth. So there's much to say about this passage in Revelation 3, but this one point, I think, becomes clear as we ponder it. This point becomes clear. Yeshua did not tolerate. He didn't tolerate well those who were comfortable. They were comfortable in their own compromised state. He didn't tolerate that well. He wants us to get off of that state, that lukewarm state, and to be on fire for him. To be on fire, can I use that term? I think it, it, it does uh, communicate on fire for the Lord. To be ready to obey him, to do what he says, to honor him and do his will. And he also told them further in Revelation chapter 3, and I've mentioned that recently from this very spot right here, this bima, this, this platform, this stage. In Revelation chapter 3, verse 18, rather than leaving them in this situation, I know your works, so you're lukewarm, I'm going to spew you out. He tells them in Revelation 3, 18, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich and white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. So he appeals to them. He appeals to them to uh, get away from compromise, from being lukewarm. He appeals to them 
to go a different direction in their life, which is connected to him, I counsel you to buy from me, who is the one that they're to direct themselves towards, him. Who is the one we should be directing our lives towards, Messiah Yeshua right now, in this generation? Because I think the Lord wants his people to change, but he wants us to change in a good way. We all may know individuals who have changed in a bad way and went the wrong direction in their lives. How many of you can relate to that? You've known individuals that took some wrong directions in their life. They changed all right, but they changed in a bad way. And maybe that's part of our testimony. We, we've made some mistakes. We've gone the wrong way, but you know what? You're here right now. You're listening to these words. You're attempting. You're wanting to press forward into all God has for you. Yeshua wants his people to change in a good way. He wants his people to be transformed by the power of his Ruach for their own well-being and for the good of the kingdom. He does not want bad changes in our lives. And any change, any change that creates distance between him and us is potentially a bad change. Yeshua told his followers in Matthew chapter 5, verse 48, he said, Therefore you shall be perfect, you shall be blameless, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. We also read in Deuteronomy chapter 18, beginning with verse 13, Tamim tiyeh im Adonai Elohecha. You shall be blameless before the Lord your God. For these nations, in verse 14, Deuteronomy 18, verse 14, he continues, You shall be blameless before the Lord your God. For these nations which you will dispossess, notice this, listen to soothsayers and diviners. But as for you, the Lord your God has not appointed such for you. We get an understanding of what these nations were doing. They were given over to cults. They were given over to demonic activity. They were given over to soothsayers, diviners. And God was saying to them, that's not your course. That's not what I have for you. This has not been appointed for you. And I know even here today there are probably people listening to these words that look at their horoscopes. It really should be called a horror scope. They look at their, it's just a little peak. You know, well, let me just, I'm just curious, maybe a little, little peak. A little peak won't hurt there. And then there are those, and Jewish people will have to be careful with this, fortune cookies. <laughs> and sometimes they have, I've been told they have numbers on them. And then from there, it is, well, maybe I, should, maybe I should do the lottery with these numbers. Who knows? The Lord could be in this for me. And I'll tithe if I get it. I'll tithe. That doesn't happen, by the way. <laughs> the Lord has not appointed these things for us. We're to listen to his voice and obey him. Why do we run around to all these other things? Why aren't we on fire for him why aren't we involved in serving him in a real way in a practical way why is it always tomorrow I'll do it the next day I'll do it or when I feel this way I'll do it. or when I feel that way I'll do it. what's the matter with today is there something wrong with serving God now by the way tomorrow is not promised to any of us Philippians chapter 2, verse 14 says, Do all things without complaining and disputing. I know we could stop right there, couldn't we? Because <laughs> some of you are probably complaining right now. Why is he talking so long? I thought it was going to be a sermonette today. <laughs> Sorry, but I don't even wear a watch. <laughs> Do all things without complaining and disputing. And please note this next phrase. I'm emphasizing it on purpose. That you may become. 
again, that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of what? A crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, but if your light is half dim, how shiny are you really? One way to assess our spiritual maturation, which is my main point, is to honestly assess what kind of person we are becoming. One way to assess our spiritual maturation is to honestly, underline that word, honestly assess what we are becoming as a person. How are we changing? Are we become more trusting of the Messiah? Are we becoming more trustworthy within our family, within our community, and our neighborhood? Are we becoming more generous? Do we have what the Scripture calls a good eye, an eye of generosity? Are we becoming more stingy, more tight-fished? That's called a bad eye. Are we someone that can be counted on by others? When you give your word, can you be counted on? Can God count on us if he gives us a task? After a while, you know what he does if we're not faithful? He stops calling on us. Very few assignments come our way. Just lets us go. We're going our own way anyway. Just lets us go. But if you're faithful in the least, you know what? You will be faithful in what? The greater. If he can trust you with little things, the chances are he can trust you with increasingly greater tasks that produce more and more fruit. And how is he glorified? He's glorified in much fruit and fruit that remains in our lives. Here's a question. What kind of person are you becoming now? You see, as 21st century Messianic believers in a darkening world we are continuously challenged to become morally or ethically compromised, to become worldly in our thinking and our worldview of life. In fact, the toleration level for believers seems to be going down. The acceptance seems to be going of, of our worldview. Our worldview is quite simple. Yeshua is Lord and he's coming back again and we all need to turn to him. Because every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Yeshua is Lord to the glory of the Father. I mean, that's the simple version of it. Spliced into that is the need for repentance. Spliced into that is our need to forgive others. Spliced into that is our need to proclaim his word and other aspects of commission that he gives to us. But what are we becoming? Because we're continuously challenged. We're challenged to become morally and ethically compromised. We're challenged to become worldly in our thinking and our worldview. We're challenged to become, can I use the term we've already used, to become lukewarm in our attitude towards God. Yeah, I don't know, maybe I might read my Bible this week. There's a, uh, let me think, I may come to Bible study. Yeah, I know all that anyway, so why should I come? But I'll just come. It's the right thing to do. Something turns up. No show <laughs> we're not there. <laughs> we become lukewarm in our attitude towards God and, and the things of God and, and, and even to become less fervent in our love for God and our love for one another, we become less fervent. An issue, an issue that Israel faced when it entered into the promised land was the issue of change. Would Israel become like the nations Israel was supposed to drive out or, or would Israel become the nation God desired them to be? Again, remember what God told Israel. Beforehand, he said in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 14, he told, told Israel these words, 
For these nations which you will dispossess, listen to soothsayers and diviners, but as for you, the Lord your God has not appointed such for you. The Canaanites and the otherites, they listen to demonic forces and voices. The people of God hearken to the voice of the Lord their God. There's a big difference, isn't there? The outcome is totally different. So if we're to become all God means for us to become, we must trust him and we must listen to the Lord's voice. Obey his word and walk by his spirit and show ourselves to be his people. Not like the ites, but like the people of God. So in a nutshell, in a nutshell, a baseline issue Israel faced at that time, faced then, and we face now as believers, is the issue of change. How will we change? What will we become? And God's people, we are being changed. We're being transformed. Second Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17 says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Transformed is a powerful word. So the godly change that the Lord brings to us, to our lives, should be reflected in spiritual maturity. As one author states it, quote, maturity is rooted in the concept of change, which implies that change is necessary for growth. A child must change physically, emotionally, mentally, in order to eventually become an adult. That's what maturity literally means. A child who doesn't change at all will always remain a child. And the same author, the same author continued, quote, the maturing process doesn't only require change, but it requires mistakes. <laughs> Show me someone who has never made a mistake and I'll show you someone who has never grown. This author continues and says, in some strangely poetic way, it's because we're imperfect that we can grow. After all, <laughs> someone who's already perfect has no need for growth. They're already arrived. Recognizing that you will make mistakes is one of the most important first steps towards true maturity. And learning from our mistakes is an inevitable part of our own spiritual growth. How many of you have learned some pretty good lessons through making some mistakes? Two hands here. And I'd put my feet up too if I could. We learn some lessons through some of the things we go through. And how we deal with our mistakes then becomes critical, becomes critical to spiritual growth. So in many ways, learning to keep pressing on in our kingdom walk, even when we fall short and we make a mistake, and we fall short of the glory of God, learning to keep pressing on is critical to our spiritual walk with Messiah Yeshua. It's critical for us. Micah chapter 7 verse 8 offers this word of triumph. Here's what it says. Can you imagine the prophet? This prophet in lights, Micah, Micha. Micha Hanavi, Micah the prophet. His book's in the Bible. What does he say? <laughs> he says, Do not rejoice over me, my enemy. Read it with me, please, the rest of it. When I fall, I will arise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. Change comes sometimes when we go through our most difficult circumstances. And if I can use the analogy, when we scrape our knees. It's hard for me to remember when I first started riding a bike. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> and I know some of you have the same issue. You probably don't remember it either. <laughs> but one thing I do know, I am positive I scraped my knees. Positive. And I'll tell you this right now, I can easily ride a bike. Have one in my house. We learn from these things. Have you learned from your mistakes? The answer is a resounding yes. Have you learned not to repeat the same mistake? Now it gets a little different there. Maybe the equation changes a little bit. Israel, as it says, uh, proverbial speaking, Israel went around the mountain 40 years. Some of the mistakes were repeated. Rebellion, that's a mistake. Rebellion against authority is a mistake. Complaining, kvetching, murmuring, mistake. If you're going to go that direction, turn it into something positive and go ahead, try complaining to God, see how far you get. You can lift your complaint to him, but you know what? He's going to respond back to you in ways you didn't anticipate. <laughs> if we're going to change, may we grow onto maturity. Learn from our mistakes, not keep repeating the same thing. Maturity is that, that place where we don't repeat our mistakes, but we step into newness of life by the power of the Holy Spirit. He enables us to step away and to step forward, Kadima, with him. The English language word, and you've probably heard this word, is the word earmark. Earmark. It's actually one word. It sounds like two, but it's one word. Earmark. The classical definition of an earmark is, quote, an identifying feature or characteristic, end quote. So an earmark is an identifying feature or characteristic. So with that in mind, what are the earmarks, the identifying features of spiritual maturity? What does that look like? What are the earmarks of spiritual maturity? The identifying characteristics of spiritual maturity. Of course, we could mention quite a few right off the bat. For example, we can mention that exhibiting genuine love for God and for one another is a sure sign of increasing spiritual maturity. We could also mention walking in His truth rather than opting out and, and latching on to some other so-called truth which is not really truth at all. Walking in his truth rather than the, the false so-called truth that we find in this world is another sign of spiritual growth and maturity. When we start walking in his truth, Second John says, I have no greater delight than to know that my children are walking in the truth. Exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit Growing in the gifts of the Spirit as He gives them to us can be another sign of spiritual growth and maturity. Yeah, I want to conclude here today by mentioning seven other earmarks of spiritual maturity or growth. I've mentioned some of the more obvious ones, but here are seven other earmarks, characteristics that are associated with spiritual growth and maturity. For example, earmark number one of spiritual growth could be this. It is taking personal responsibility for your own life, your own actions, your own words. Have you ever played the blame game? I didn't do that. I didn't say that. A sign of maturity is owning up to your own actions and words. Owning up to them. When we do that, we're, we place ourselves in a position where we can learn. If our own actions and word are not acceptable before the Lord, then we need to change. Change is an optimal idea in the Lord. Change is good in the Lord. Transformation is an even stronger idea of change. But if we refuse to take responsibility for our own words and actions, we're going to stay in the quagmire of those falsities. We'll just stay there. We'll wallow in those things. Earmark number one, take personal responsibility for your own actions and words. Can go even farther, your own intentions and purposes. 
God sees those too. Earmark number two of spiritual growth and maturity is becoming a responsible part of our family, our natural and our spiritual family. Are you a responsible part of your family? In the family realm, many of us have a situation where we may be the only believer in the family. And if we extricate ourselves from the family, sometimes there's reason to put distance, abusive situations, that type of stuff. But if we pull ourselves out of our family and, and don't want anything anymore to do with our family, I guess we can pray and ask God to send his servants there, but he needs someone to testify to them. And let me ask you, I like to do little polls every now and then. How many of you have actually shared the Lord with family members, close family members? If you have, raise your hands. Good. Very good. Keep it up. It's not easy. And I don't mean the hand, but keep doing that. (laughs) It's not easy. (laughs) That reminds me of one of the first times I spoke, like 1975, in a church in Texas. There's a little group of us, an alumni from our Bible school. And I spoke on Elijah. It was, it was my turn to preach that Sunday. I spoke on Elijah. And we were there, and I don't remember the town in Texas. But it was a pretty good-sized congregation. And it got kind of wound up. And I said, and you got to stand. And then I was horrified. Everybody stood up. <laughs> my first shot at this thing. <laughs> and everybody stood up, and then I'm like, I can just imagine what my face looked like. I know what's happening here. Like, oi, gefault, what do I do now? <laughs> so I didn't know what to do. I knew there was some form to this. I wasn't raised in the church at all. I didn't know what to do. So I said, well, let's pray. <laughs> so the, the answer is, the moral is, if in doubt, what do you do? Pray. So we prayed, and I, we closed off the service. I went back, and we, there were three or four of us were sharing a hotel room. I couldn't sleep all night. I mean, I tossed and turned. I was on the floor doing rolls, everything, just trying to think, what happened? What do I do? This is new to me. I don't know the protocol here. But somehow, <laughs> never got asked back, so that might solve that one. <laughs> So earmark number two, become a responsible part of your family, your physical family. By the way, don't forget your spiritual family. Are you responsible here if this is your congregation? Do you really take the mantle of responsibility for your congregation? You know, sometimes after everyone leaves, I come and pick up the trash in these pews. Now, I don't notice who leaves it. But what I do notice is they leave it. Should that be happening? I don't think so. I'm not complaining about it. I've been doing it for many, many years now. But folks will just, this is their trash bin, and they just leave it there on the pew and go on there. I don't know. That to me seems irresponsible, but... Maybe that's me. Maybe I'm wrong about that. But it seems irresponsible. Aren't we responsible enough to take care of ourselves and make sure that in our little world that we're doing what's right and, and we're being considerate of others? That's taking responsibility. Earmark number three. We must become increasingly unselfish in our actions Please don't start with yourself as your starting point. Think in terms of God's kingdom. What does he want? What's important to him? Most folks, when they receive some kind of financial blessing, the first thing they think is, oh, what can I do with this? Please, maybe God wants to use you to be a provider for someone else. And he sees he can trust you with a certain amount of finance or maybe a material object. That your life isn't all wrapped in those things. He may bless you with an abundance of something so that you can be a conduit. And I hate to use that word, but I am. You can be someone that he can flow through to bless someone else. But our initial inclination is, it's for me, it's for me, it's for me. Maybe. Maybe not. 
So when in doubt, what do we do? Pray. Ask him. He knows how to speak to his people. So like Yeshua, we should think of the well-being of others, think of them as more important than ourselves, and think in a primary way of that. Earmark number four. This is a big one. It's right in the middle of the seven. Earmark number four, a mature person, a spiritually mature person is a team player. A team player. Look at Acts chapter 13. The believers were praying and the Lord spoke and said, separate unto me. And then he mentions two names. The team was together. And he called these two individuals out on a special mission. They responded affirmatively and they were sent out by the team. Now, I'm not talking about team sports here. I'm talking about working as a unit, as one in Messiah to accomplish his person, his, uh, his purpose. Because a person that does not always need to be the one calling the shots will fit in many more places in the kingdom than someone that thinks they always have to be calling the shots. The world opens up when you don't feel like you have to be the man or the woman. More opportunities open when you, you're willing to be a team player. There are many teams you can fit on. <laughs> There's more to say about that, but I'll, I'll stop with that. Earmark number five of a spiritually mature person is the ability to make personal adjustments when necessary. How many of you love when someone gives you some good correction? I'm going to talk about that in a minute. Where are the hands? <laughs> okay, Rocky, just Rocky and me. <laughs> but a spiritually mature person is, has the ability to make personal adjustments in their life when necessary. Sometimes that means changing what you're used to doing because the Lord begins to show you that's not the most effective thing. And too often we can approach life and living by this one motto, we have this motto. We won't say this, of course, but there are people that live by this motto. It's only three words, but it's their motto. Their motto is, I change not. And they are stuck at that spot. I change not. Now, some things we should not change do you have daily Bible readings? Do you spend time in prayer? Don't change those things. Actually grow them. But there are other things, some of the things we do, the quirky things, the things that are trouble to others, that we need to consider changing and walking into newness of life in that area. Earmark number six of a spiritually maturing person. I just mentioned it. The ability to receive godly correction. Now I know there are some that feel like they need to correct everyone that they see. I knew one person that actually was not a policeman, real life person, was not a policeman, but would take time to stop drivers on the road to correct their driving. And I'm not making that up. It's only by the grace of God that they didn't end up in prison. But they, they thought, you know, I am the most perfect driver, so that person didn't put their blinker on. I'm going to tell them. I wouldn't do that. <laughs> As we say, when in doubt, what do you do? Pray. Pray. And lastly, number seven, a spiritually mature person lives according to the principles of the Word of God. Not the New York Times not the latest doctrine that's flitting around, not the latest speaker that's hot, you know, that type of thing. But you live by the Word of God. You look at the Word of God. You, you discern things using the Word of God. And a person that's like that will continually grow in study of the Word of God because they're interested to know what the Word of God says. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for growing us spiritually by your Holy Spirit that we might become the people you desire us to be. Lord, I pray for every one of us here today that we would grow 
to maturity that you would keep us from those things in this world the Hittites the Hivites the Jebusites the Amorites all the ites of this 21st century who are not listening to you and would love to persuade us to be like them Lord, by your grace and through the power of your redemption in Yeshua, Jesus the Messiah, you have called us to be in the world, but not of the world. You have called us to have friendship with you and not friendship with the wrong ways of this world. Father, I pray that you will be with each one of us as we uh, filter out of here today, that you would be with each one of us as we walk our lives, we may do what's pleasing to you. We might show maturity, take responsibility, and be an example. Thank you, Lord. Pray also that as we gather for the Oneg, that you will bless our food together, our classes today. B'Shem Yeshua. Amen. You've been listening to the Shabbat message from Rosh Pinah Messianic Jewish Congregation in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. We would love to have you visit us. Our weekly services begin at 10.40 a.m. each Shabbat, and we are located at 2600 Northwest 55th Place, north of Northwest Expressway at the corner of Northland Avenue and Northwest 55th Place. We meet each Shabbat for wonderful praise and worship with dance, liturgy, teaching, food, fellowship, excellent children's programs, and Bible studies on Tuesday nights. For more information, please visit our website, www.roshpinah.org. That's R-O-S-H-P-I-N-A-H dot O-R-G. You can also reach us by phone at 405-842-1967 or email us at info at roshpinah.org. Thank you for spending time in the Word with us today. Shabbat Shalom and blessings in Messiah Yeshua. 